0: Amen. So, session fifteen, guys. I've I've never I, I, I don't think taught uh, in a, in a series with more than like eight or twelve. Uh, subject matters and those were spread out over a week, so it was one session a week, two back to back, you know, every single week. As a matter of fact, I was going back and double checking some of my notes, just making sure I have the connection points that we've been talking about when you see it. And I was like, Wait, was that session three or four? Like, I'm getting mixed up as to which one it is now, and I'm having to go back and, and look at it, uh, and guys. I don't know if y'all know, but there's some good stuff in those notes. You should go back and look at them. Uh, So, um, so what we're going to do this evening is we're going to jump into session 15, Mountain Plain, uh, part five, Uh, and there will be a part six because we won't be finished today. But um, God willing, and the creek don't rise uh, does that take me out of thuggishness in a little bit more country? Can I, can I walk that balance or no? Okay. Uh, <laughs> we will get it completed in six sessions. Uh, so this is part five and we will have a part six next Wednesday and then we will move on past this Sermon on the Mount, Sermon on the Plain. As, uh, most of you know, if you've been here or you've been listening online, I know several people have been kind of catching up on sessions that they've missed online. Uh, The Mount on the Plain we have completely covered, which is basically Luke's account of the same message, probably given at a different time, could have been the same one. And then we have Matthew's account, which happens from Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. So we are kind of ending of chapter 5 right now, moving into chapter 6. We're going to look to hopefully finish the entire chapter 6 today. The reason that we can probably do that is there's large portions of it we've already discussed, and it shows you, hey, we discussed this in the prior session, so we're just going to kind of read through it and kind of remember where we're at with it. Um, so we're going to dive right into this and begin um, with, with all of this. It is exceedingly important that you continue to remember, because this is part five, that means we're five hours in at this, like by the end of today, we're five hours in just talking about this one Sermon. Okay, um, that, that's how uh, that's how much like that's how well Jesus said what he said. Is it takes us five hours to break it apart uh, <laughs> and think about it here for a minute? All right. The reason I also say that though is to recall back to your memory some of the first things that we talked about about this sermon. Right? About what Jesus is saying. It starts with something commonly called the Beatitudes. Right? Which is a whole list of attributes that a a believer basically should exemplify and should be like, and it kind of tells us what that works and how that works, and we've talked about lots of other things like that, and all of that is in direct connection and correlation to everything we've been reading, okay? If this was all given at one moment and one time, like a sermon like it is, we need to remember that all those old things were like that we had talked about you know, two three weeks ago apply to this very thing that we're about to read, because you're going to see specifically today even more, you're actually going to see a... A lot of callbacks, like where he's saying something, you're like, this sounds familiar. And it's like, ah, oh, that's because he's just saying it in a different way, but giving us a full picture of it, right? So, uh, there's seats right here in the front. Jonathan, come on down. Or Taryn's sitting at her own table over there if people are scared of her. <laughs> well, that's, that's why. That's why. So, these first, if you're looking in your notes here... Um, if you're looking in your notes here, this first few paragraphs, okay, and I'm not, I'm not going to read all this, right? I'm, we're going to do like we normally do. I'm just pulling up the notes so you can see. These are the same few paragraphs that has been in all five weeks, okay, to kind of help us remember what's happening here, okay? Now here's the new information. We're starting in Matthew 5, 38, okay? And if you want to know, like, well, what about the earlier parts of Matthew chapter 5? I just told you, go see parts 1 through 4, Mount and Plain. Um, for that. So basically, we're jumping right in here. This is Jesus' sermon on the mount. He is giving us a lot of explanations about how things work in the kingdom and all this kind of stuff, and he's kind of basically giving us a whole list of ways we should handle things. Y'all remember where we left off last week? Last week, we left off with the idea of divorce and, 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 and adultery. Y'all remember all that? It was all the hard parts uh, of it, and we were like, oh, no, we got that, because we, and we are like, oh, maybe we don't have that. Uh, together, so here's where we jump into what is commonly referred to as a discourse on retaliation. So let's begin here, and we're just going to kind of read through it, and pause, and keep going along as uh, as we go here. All right. So this is Jesus speaking. He has just finished talking about how you handle, if you look up here, how you handle giving your oaths, right? Uh, so, you know, do you give your word to man, word to God, and, and Jesus is saying, you've heard it said to give, it all, you know, give all your oaths in front of God, and he's saying, I'm saying, don't, I'm saying just be so constant and consistent that you can just say yes, and your yes is a yes, and your no is a no, and there is no variation with it. You don't have to swear to anybody, right? He's setting the bar constantly higher, remember, Okay. Um, so then right down here, he talks about your communications be yea and nay, because anything that comes of that is evil. And remember the word evil here means full of labors, annoyances, and toils. So because anything else is what? Now you have to try to fulfill that thing that you said, and so you just, you're better off just to be constant, consistent, say what you mean, mean what you say. That doesn't have to do with miscommunication. I refer back to last week's session. Now. You've also heard it said, or you've heard it said, an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Who's ever heard that? Right? But I say unto you, resist not evil. Oh, look, now we get an excuse to do whatever we want. Jesus said, don't, you don't have to worry about resisting it. No, take it in context, people. But whosoever shall smite thee on their right cheek, turn to him also the other cheek. And if any man shall shoot, sue you in law... And take away your coat, give him your cloak also. Now, we've talked about this, if you remember, in Luke. We've already kind of, so we're just kind of reading through and, and looking at this, right? And whosoever can compel you to go a mile, go with him too, all right? And if to give to, uh, blah, blah, give unto him that ask of you, and from him that would borrow, don't turn, don't turn him away. So now let's pause right there. So we've talked about this mostly, but I'm just going to kind of give us a little bit. What is he saying here? He's saying this is how we're supposed to behave. In one way. If you're a believer and you're looking at this and you're exemplifying those things we read at the beginning, commonly referred to as the Beatitudes, he's saying, listen, you've heard him say, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, meaning, hey, you do something to me, I do something to you, right? Now, what we got to understand is where this came from, because see, Luke doesn't quite tell, us, tell it to us in this exact way. This is actually an Old Testament law that they used, and it was actually specifically in reference to criminal things that happened. So if someone Was to, I don't know, say, kill someone, the equal punishment is to kill them back and get rid of them, right? There are other punishments if you steal, right? Some of this is still practiced in certain countries to this day. We cut off your hand because you stole, now you can't do that anymore. And this was actually an Old Testament law saying this is what happens. We make it equal because this is justice in a criminal way. But what had happened is the Pharisees had kind of began to take that over time and shifted it into, well, if it works in that regard, it works if anyone does anything against you as a person. So thus, if they mouth off to you, you get to mouth off to them. If they lie about you, you can lie about them because that's fair. And so they took something that was intended to use for God to show Something, and they twisted it into self-justification. And if you read, I actually put a little excerpt in there in your notes that talks about the actual kind of what happened in the Jewish day a little bit. Just kind of gives you some peppering in there and gives you a couple of, of verses to refer to as well. And so what Jesus is saying is, now here's what I say. Take it, none of this. Now notice, remember he said he was here to fulfill the law, not destroy it. So he didn't address the fact that this is necessarily being misused. He just addressed, I'm saying, because of how you're using it, I'm saying to take it and completely do away with it, not do away with the criminal act. And so you'll notice, uh, as, as we continue on, you'll notice Jesus refers back to a lot of the Jewish law that governs their day, and he says there's nothing wrong with that. But when you take it to your spiritual walk, we get an issue because they weren't intended for that. See, this is a big, big issue that we're going to continue to find, is that the entire law, everything about the Old Testament, had been shifted and taken into a cultural societal rule instead of a spiritual law rule. So we can understand it best this way. You cannot legislate righteousness. You cannot make rules and regulations that fixes the intent of someone's heart. You can make rules and regulations to dissuade people from doing it, but the heart motive is the heart motive. And what the Jewish people did was took something that was meant to address heart motive and started saying, well, because these are laws we're supposed to do, then they started trying to use them as their cultural standards and everything like that, and they got twisted into simply being a way we live our life, no connection to the heart at all, which is why we see this entire thing of the Sermon on the Mount Sermon on the Plain. What is Jesus addressing the whole time? your heart. Constantly, he's going back to the heart. He's saying, that y'all have missed the whole point of every command. Y'all have missed the whole point of scripture. You've missed the whole point of the Messiah. You've missed all of it because you think it's about something here and the natural realm that, I, that we're trying to fix. And you've turned it all into that. It's no longer a spiritual heart motive. So that's why Jesus' argument is constantly back to the spiritual side of things. Now, we've talked about this in detail again. Go back and review, I believe it was in session uh, uh, part two of this uh, which would be session 11, is where we already talked about this, okay? So, he says, if they ask you to go a mile, go two. If you ask to borrow from you, don't turn them away. Basically, this is also tied to an idea we're about to read, which is this natural world doesn't matter. So, quit getting caught up and quit making issues because you're creating spiritual deficiencies in your life by getting so caught up on these little, like, natural human things, okay? Let's continue on. Verse 43 You've heard it said that you should love your neighbor and hate their enemy. Okay? But I say unto you, we all know this one, love your enemies and bless those who curse you and do good to those who hate you and pray for those who despitefully use you and, and persecute you. Again, we've talked about this, so I'm not going into extreme detail. I'm just kind of reading it to get your mind spun up right now before we hit you with some new knowledge. right? Okay, So he's telling us, you've heard it say, love, be, you've heard it say, basically, be towards actions of someone's betterment, love. That, that's, that's your neighbor and that, that you love, you know. That's, that's your family, that's your friends, you know. But people that are your enemy, you, you can kill them, you can do whatever you want to them because they're your enemy. And he says, no, 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 I say take that same measure that you are willing to deal out for the ones that are on your side and dull that out to the ones that are against you. Now, this is a direct correlation to the grace and mercy of God in the Old Testament, which he says he pours his grace and mercy out to those that oppose him. So Jesus is saying, if you want to be like God, which is what we were called to do, heaven comes down in Genesis, you've got to start dulling it out like he does. Okay? Okay. So then he goes down a list and gives us some examples of what we can do with that. And he says, because of this, this is what? This is how you're a children of your father. This is how you become begotten of God. Now, see, now I'm not going to go too much into this because we will get to this in the future. But, see, we mistake and think we're all children of God. By nature of our creation, yes. But what this is not is referring to is not the fact that you're a human being. Everybody go, take a breath, breathe. Right? Okay. It's not. He's not saying, "Oh, you're children of God because you're created and you're a human." He's referring to the heart mode of being a child, meaning that the very heart you have is begotten is the same as God's. Comes from God. It's the offspring of God. And what Jesus is arguing is this idea, and he constantly says you're either a child of the Father or a child of. He either uses the phrase the devil or. Children of darkness, of hell, children of God, children of the kingdom is another way that is said. He paints this picture and says, yeah, God created all of you, but you're either the offspring of one of these two things, and that has to do with the heart. So he says, if you look at it this way, loving your enemies and things, he says, then you are children, you're begotten of God, which is in heaven, so God in heaven, who what? Who makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends the rain on the just And the unjust, okay? So this is an interesting thing. Do you notice good happens to good and bad and bad happens to good and bad? Showing us that your definition of good and bad is probably pretty bad. Because we look constantly, this this little scripture right here, I have no clue why, by the way, I'm going to go on a tiny rant. I think it's in your notes because I was ranting in my notes too. Uh, (laughs) Which is this, right? This little scripture should be the biggest proof against the whole idea of become a believer and then things start working better for you. It says right here, it changes nothing. Or the idea that now because something bad's happened to you is because God's coming after you. No. It says that Notice this: God makes the sun rise on the good and the evil people, as who's referred to so children of God and children of darkness. And He says, and God sends the rain to the just, children of God, and the unjust. Meaning that these things are going to happen regardless, whichever side of the fence you're on. You're going to look at someone that is straight up pentagram Satan worshiper, and they're going to be having a great time and great life and be a billionaire. And you're going to look at a Christian and be like, wow, that, their life is totally screwed up. And then you're going to look at a Christian who has got it all working and rolling. And then you're going to look at, and I'm using a Satan worshiper as just an extreme example. Okay, you know, i just, okay, just want to make sure. All right. So what this should do is just, just, just dispel everything that we have this idea of somehow my relationship with God is meant to change circumstances in life for me. That is not the idea of Christianity at all. The idea of Christianity is that God is God regardless of the fact, and that because I become a part of that, it changes circumstances and situations for those around me. Because I can bring the Spirit. And it doesn't mean personal comfort. We've discussed that at length. I let that point rest. So, that's my little, little rant about that stupid Christianese crap. Verse 46. For if you love them which love you, what reward do you have? Even the publicans do the same. And remember, we read this in Luke, so I'm just, I'm just refreshing us so we can get into chapter 6. And if you, have, uh, uh, if you salute your brother only, then what more than others do you have? Even the publicans do this. Therefore, be perfect as your father is perfect. Now, the word perfect here means complete. It doesn't mean, like, never mess up. Like, say, we think perfect as in no flaw in it. No, but perfect here means complete. Be complete in this, as, as God is complete in this, meaning he completely forgives, he completely loves, he completely be complete in that, as he is, okay? But this whole little first part here, we read it in Luke, but I just want to point it out. He's saying there's got to be something fundamentally different about your love. The way that you do things has to be fundamentally different, because if it's not, what difference are you than the unbeliever? And again, I, I know we talked about this, but I just want to hone it in a little bit, go back... We have that issue right now. We can look at the state of the church and of the world and of believers and people stand and look and say, I do good things. I give money to the right causes and the da-da-da-da-da. I'm a nice person. And so are you. There's no difference. You know, it's just no big deal. You know, like, hey, you, I'm an atheist. You I just go one God further than you. You don't believe in Zeus. I don't believe in Zeus. You don't believe in Thor. I don't believe in Thor. You don't believe in this, and I don't believe in So you believe in God. I don't believe in God. I just go, well, there's no difference between us. I'm a good person. You're a good person. We're fine. And what Jesus is saying here is, if that's how you are, there is no difference, and that doesn't cut it, because what use does that have? He's calling us to a higher standard. Jesus never lowers the bar. He raises it. So. Now, Chapter Six. That was mostly recap from prior sessions. All right, so Chapter Six now addresses this idea of giving of alms and praying, and we're about to this is one of my favorites cha- I say that a lot, don 't I? Okay, so just self note to self for all of you. If I say one of my favorites i 'm probably referring to most of them uh, <laughs> but i I love this particular area of scripture, because we're about to come to the Lord's Prayer, which is mentioned here and in Luke as well. Uh, Luke chapter 11, if I'm not mistaken, it is in your notes. But this is a huge thing that's been looked over in lots of different ways. So I want to break this down. So the first thing here is... All right, we're going to talk about giving of your alms, all right? So take heed that you do not give your alms before men to be seen of them. Otherwise, you'll have no reward of your Father which is in heaven. Therefore, when you do your alms, do not sound a trumpet before the, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that, men, uh, that they may have the glory of men. For verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But do your alms so that your left hand does not know what your right hand does, and that their alms are being secret, and that thy Father which is... Uh, Which sees in secret himself will reward you openly. So let's just pause right there. All right? Now, who would say, off the cuff, this sounds contradictory to let your light so shine before men so they can see your good works? On face value, it sounds like it's contradictory, right? We just did salt and light like two or or four weeks ago, a time ago, right? And what do we know? You are the salt of the earth, the city on a hill. You are the light, so let your light so shine before men so they can see your good works. And then that may glorify the Father. And so then we read this and we're like, we're supposed to be so secretive with our good works that our left hand and right hand don't, don't even know what each other are doing, which we're going to talk about in a minute. And that sounds like it's a contradiction, but It's not at all because it's referring to two different things and there's a core core little piece let your light so shine before men and they may see your good works that glorify the father what are we looking at here a differentiation between heart motive the first one of letting your light shine as you're doing things and by the way the light was not the good works if you notice in that remember let your light shine and then they see good works. so the works are not the light we miss that. I'm not reteaching. I'm just helping you understand what, why, where is there's a difference, okay? So the light is not the good works. The good works is the end result of the light already being in you. And then there are good works. And those good works only solely point to the Father. So that's a heart motive. That means you don't care if you get anything out of it. But this heart motive that he's talking about with your alms, and alms are basically like you're, you're, you're giving to the, to the needy and the poor and things of that nature. Okay? It could be giving of, of all kinds, but your offerings, if we can say it that way. He's saying, don't do it before men. That does not mean make sure no one ever sees you. What that means is don't do it so that men can see you do it. He's saying, don't let that be your purpose, because if you want men to see you, they'll see you, and there you go. Congratulations, that's what you get out of it. He says, so when you do it, don't sound a trumpet as the hypocrites do in the synagogues. And he's, (laughs) the ironic part is, again, Jesus takes no prisoners. Like, just straight up, he's standing in front of people who go to the synagogues with the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And they're probably among these people because they always are, because they have something snarky to say at the beginning or end of it, right? And he's straight up saying, they're the hypocrites, the ones that you see in the synagogues that blow the trumpets and say, now we're giving and doing all this stuff. He says, all of that, fake, false, false get rid of it. Not the structure, but the heart motive, right? So he says, don't do it that way because they go into the streets. And all I can think about of this, by the way, because he calls this out again later on, but (laughs) the synagogues and in the streets, I just, I'm sorry, but I think about your soapbox preachers. When you're professing the gospel, it's in action of life, not in words of standing on the side of a street. And he's talking about it right here. Now, we'll continue on. Because then you have the glory of man. The word glory means light shined upon. So men look at you and say, oh, wow, right? So, But what is he addressing here? Heart motive, heart motive. Not the fact that men do or do not see you. He's saying if the reason you do it is to be seen, you've, again, heart motive. That is not your light so shining before men. It, it, but, but he's saying if you do it so much as a thing between you and God, And he uses what's called a hyperbolic language or hyperbole, right? Super exaggeration. Does a hand have a mind? I mean, some of you are like, yeah, why are you hitting yourself? Why are you hitting yourself? Right? Like, no, a, a hand does not have a mind, right? So what does he say? Don't let your hand know what your other hand knows, right? He's being super exaggerative to say your personal relationship of giving and what God's asking you to do is intended to be so much just between you and him so much to the point that in and, and the right and left remember we talked about this that the honorable good side doesn't it, like they, they don't even know what each other you're so they're so disconnected it's so personal it's helping show us that our personal relationships with god are not meant to now don't get this twisted meant to be on display you say well wait is that isn't that different than you're right shine we're still got a contradiction no because, see, my light is my personal relationship with, with with God, right? And when I have that thing, it derives new action, and that's what people end up seeing. And then you have the opportunity right here to do the light shines one of two ways at that point. You either say, whoop, yes, I did it, and da 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 or you say, only God. Now, moreover than just the false humility of only God, and then you say, it was only God, but let me tell you how I did it. Well, you've just kind of, you know, di- diverted the conversation, Right? What this is trying to point out is this idea of that personal thing that God deals with you on is between you and God, and then go and do it, and when you do, it's this interesting thing in which God shines the light on you, so people see it, because people are blind and hard of hearing, remember, we've been reading that, and they see it in you, and then they say, what is the difference? Why why are you doing that? Because you didn't get anything for that. Does that make sense? And this is the difference. This is the difference between loving your brother only and not your enemy. He's saying there's there's such a a vast difference to where people... Y'all ever heard the old Christian dumb saying? That when you become a believer, they're just going to know there's something different about you. No, they won't unless you're enacting what Scripture says. And that happens between you and God on a personal level, which means none of it happens here. Not a lick of it. Okay, let's keep going. So, that your father may reward you openly, verse 5. And when you pray, so he says, not just with your giving, but when your prayers. Don't let that be as the hypocrites are. So he's still calling them out. No prisoners. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the corner of the streets. They love to post it on YouTube and praying for people. And they love to post like, guys, I was just in my own personal prayer time on Facebook. (laughs) Can we just put it in our modern lingo? He's saying, don't. Because you want to be seen in men? You You get your reward. Like, 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 like. Congratulations. But when you pray, enter into your closet. Now, this is an idea. This is where the whole idea, if anyone's ever heard of the prayer closet, there was even a movie that came out called The War Room. Okay, this is not literal. I mean, you can. Like, some of us are super ADD people or whatever, and we're like, okay, I need a padded room, A, just to make sure my anger doesn't get out of control, and then B, I need in a room where there's nothing else around me so I don't get distracted. So if you literally do that, that's cool. But just understand, that is not what Jesus is saying you must do to pray. Okay, that, that is why we have no windows, though. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> right, so he says, enter into your closet. What is this? It's a storage place. It's somewhere where you store things. Well, what is Jesus constantly talking about? About treasures being stored up. He says, go to that place, that secret hiding place, that hidden storage place. And he says, go there and shut the door. Keep out the devil. Shut the door. Keep the devil in the night. Y'all know that song? <laughs> So you, it says, shut the door, close everything else out, and pray to your Father which is in secret. And your Father sees in secret and will ward you openly. He continues on. But when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathens do, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking, verse 8. For, and, and, and be not therefore like unto them, for your Father knows the things that you have need of before you even ask. So let's stop right here. Now, I have heard this scripture used out of context, like it's in the top 10, in my opinion, of out-of-context scriptures, and what I mean by that is most people read it and say, so, you can't pray the same thing over and over because that's repetitious, and you can't pray super long because that's this, and you, 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 you don't pray and, and, and ask for anything because God already knows, so you don't have to say it, and, and they try to make this like a formula, and that's not what this is. What this is trying to do is two things. Number one, differentiate people of the day. And number two, address a heart motive. Right? This is just simply a continuation on from what he's talking about about praying in front of people and on the streets. And so then what he does is ties it a little more specifically to what was happening in the day. Okay? So this is a, it's a two-fold thing. And the vain repetitious, number one, vain repetitious is one word uh, actually in the Greek. And it means empty Void words, so words that have no meaning, okay? So, for instance, I've been convicted of this several times, okay? I'm just going to use a real-life example, which just happened. And if anyone's been here any length of time, they've noticed something, okay? And I'm using this as an example. I'm not shining the light on me. I'm not doing anything. Okay? Just stay with me here. If anyone's been here any length of time, they've probably noticed that my opening and ending prayers are the same for periods of time, and then they've shifted, Okay? If you've been here any time, or you listen back through it, you'll you'll hear. Why is that? It's because God convicts me sometimes and says, "Did you mean what you just said?" Like you just said, like right now, I've really been on God. Your written and spoken word—that's been something that ministers to me. Okay, but at the second I begin to say that, whether it be in front of you guys or even in my own personal, and I no longer mean that, I'm truly grateful for the written word of God and the spoken word of God. It becomes vain repetition. The vain part is vastly more important than the repetition part. Now, the other thing about this vain repetition, as the heathens do, the word heathen here means those who worship a false god. So he's not just saying like people who don't believe. What he's saying is because in their day and time, the way that they would pray to their other gods in these weird sacrificial things going on, okay, they would do all of these different rituals and, you know, Things, killing of people and animals and all kinds of stuff. I mean, sex orgies, you name it. They worshipped in every way they could possibly imagine, okay, <laughs> to, to their gods. And they would chant the same phrase over and over and over that would basically, I mean, if we can just be honest, put them in a sort of a trance. And by so doing, they thought that's how their gods heard them. And he's saying, that ain't how your God works. That ain't how we work. That ain't how it goes. And then you let that settle in. Now, I've also heard this being applied to modern worship music, in which there's like three words in the song, and then it's just saying over and over for ten minutes. And they're like, that's vain repetitious, and it's putting people in a trance and whatever. Like, Okay, may it affect people that way? Sure. But we're not the ones to do the heart motive, because last time I heard, <laughs> uh, all of eternity, it rings One word. (laughs) So you're kind of contradicting your own Bible there. So we need to be careful not to take things and apply them outside of context, okay? We need to be careful and look at these that way, okay? So now he says this vain repetition of the heathens do because they'll think they'll be heard for their their much speaking. So therefore, don't be like them, for your Father in heaven knows the things that you have before you ask. Now, there's a lot more to this that we're going to discover as we continue on, but basically what this is saying is God is omniscient. He knows all things. So the very things that you're coming to him and praying about, he already knows what you need for that. So you need to pray something different. Now, some of you are like, I thought you just said it. I'm not saying don't ask God for things. I didn't say that. And that's not what he said. Let's see what he does say, though. He says he already knows what you have need of before you ask it. So in this manner, pray. So he actually gives us the answer. Isn't that cool? See, we always think, he always thinks we always think this is like, God knows what you need, so you just go, God, you know, and do things in my life. And that's your prayer. And he says, no, 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 no. He already knows what you have need of. And the word need there actually is this word, like desire of things you're wanting. And he says, So, so to under help you understand this, pray like this. In this manner means in this likeness. It does not mean pray this exact thing. However, that doesn't mean. Can you pray the Lord's Prayer, which is what we're about to read, by the way, in verse 10? Can you pray that vain and repetitiously? Absolutely. Most of the time it is. Or can you pray that, one may would say, ardently or full-hearted, full-passionate with, and you actually mean the very words you're saying? Can you pray it that way and use the exact same words? Yes. But it's the heart motive. We can never get away from that. Jesus doesn't let us off the hook with that thing. And see, the interesting thing is, is all of us, no matter what face we put on on the streets or in the synagogues, we already know and God already knows the actual motive of the heart. No one else does, though. So it's kind of this interesting thing that Jesus just keeps pointing you back to and saying you better be introspective and then go to God. So let's continue. He says, in this manner, in this likeness, pray this. And let's read it, if you know it, if you quote it. Anybody who was uh, raised uh, pretty much almost any major religion, actually, of Christianity uses it. Catholicism uses it. Methodists use it. Evangelicals. Everybody pretty much does. And it says something along these lines. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. No. In earth. As it is. In heaven, give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive those of our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from from evil, not the evil one, from evil. Okay? For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now let's look at how much this has became vain repetitious because we don't a understand what we're saying and B we've even changed words. Now If you look in an English Standard Version, it will say on earth as it is in heaven. If you look at most other translations, it will. Now, in and on both suck. And here's why. Because that's the word be done in earth as it is in heaven. These are two different ends. They're two different words. they mean two different things. So we're going to talk about that. But let's back up first. Pray in this manner. Our Father... There's a lot in those two words. The first thing that does is establish relationship. First thing, he says, approach God as your father, which means he's the provider, which is why you don't have to ask. Because, you know, my kids, you know, my kids don't come up and ask if they're going to get to eat today. They know they're going to get to eat, but here's what they ask. What are we eating and when? There is no question of whether or not they are. Their question is, what is it going to be like and when? Right? Think about that for a minute about the prior verse when he says, you, you know, you don't ask like this of your father because he already, has, he already knows what you need. You're supposed to come as a relational thing and look at it as our father. That's the first thing it establishes the relationship, which would require righteousness, meaning upright, our father. I'm in back direct communication with you, our father whom I already know will provide everything that is needed for me. So thus, my first things out of my mouth are, hallowed be your name. The word hallowed means literally holy, dedicated. And the word name here means, name is like an authority in the essence of who you are. So it's literally saying, if we can put it in our language, God, Father, you are the most dedicated and most holy. That is everything about who you are. You you don't give up on me. I mean, this is the notion. And he's saying, that's not just start with. Think about, just if we're honest, when was the last time we spent more time just trying to describe the vastness of who God is to us than we did complaining to him about something he already knew about? It's almost like David said it another way in Psalms 100, which is enter his gates with thanksgiving and courts with praise. It didn't say anything about complaining. Okay, continue. Hallowed be your name. And the next thing still has absolutely nothing to do with your personal comfort in life. The next thing says, thy kingdom come, okay? Hurry up and get me out of here. No. Your kingdom, the word kingdom here is the word basileia, which means your way of doing things, your dominion, your rule, your reign. It comes here. Everybody say here. Here. And now. Nothing about your personal comfort yet. So now we're already more sentences in than our average prayer and have yet to address anything about ourselves yet. Mm-hmm. So our Father which art in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come, here. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Now I'm just going to swipe over real quick on this one because I want to I show you. If, I know it's probably a little difficult to read. Here we go. Now, right here, your kingdom come, your will. The word will here literally means the decrees, the desires, the pleasures, what one wishes or has determined shall be done of the purposes of God to bless mankind through Christ. And I love this last part of what God wishes to be done by us. So literally, the first thing we're asking of God, uh, after we have thanked Him and honored Him and focused on that side of Him, the first thing we're doing is saying, what do you want me to do? Thy will, your will, your desires, wishes, plans, and purposes, what do you want me to do here? Now, I only put the first N in this, uh, I-N, and it's this word, I don't know how to pronounce that, but I would just imagine it is iffy. <laughs> that's how i would say it it's probably EPI, uh but anyways it's e-p-i is how we would say it and this one right here guys it's clear as day if you didn't get the kingdom of god is now the word in for in earth is literally to be superimposed on now i do video editing who's ever heard of a green screen who's ever watched the matrix Okay. Okay. The whole movie was shot with a giant room of green screens and then all the stuff in the background is what's called superimposed over, which means they remove what was and they put something else on top of it. Okay. So if you've ever watched the news and all that graphics that you see at the bottom of the screen, that is called superimposing, which means they take the footage of the guy that's talking to you and telling you, probably lies, uh, but telling you information and then they take graphics and they... Put it over the top of it, and it becomes one thing. Is anybody getting a picture about heaven and earth becoming one like it was in Genesis? So it literally says, your will, your will, plan, and purpose, and desires being done by us here, superimposed on this earth. And the word earth there is not the word cosmos. It is literally the word dirt, the ground. This physical planet, which you also happen to be made of, I would like to point out. You see in this. This is clear as day in Jesus' prayer. Your will be done in earth as it is in heaven. And that word in means E in in Greek. And it means in relation of rest to, it means in relation to, like, like it already is. So one meaning like to superimpose upon, in, to become a part of, and the next one being in relation to this other thing. Meaning like heaven and earth become one, superimposed together. And it's already like that in heaven because that's where God is and make it the same way here. So make it one, like unity. Like in the beginning, God created. Heaven and earth. No? Okay. That excites me, but okay. Now we have this next thing. After we've done all that, we're already past our prayer time. Give us this day our daily bread. Now, this, this is there's some, a little bit of controversy, actually, amongst scholars as to which... What time is it? I don't even see. Oh, we ain't finishing. Okay. Uh, <laughs> give us this day our daily bread. Some people think this is in reference to our future bread, like provide for us in the future. Some people think it's meaning provide for us the things we need for this day and this day only. I don't think it really matters. It's, it's simply saying, hey, God, you give... What will sustain us? The idea of the bread means simply the basics that will sustain you. It didn't say, give us this day our daily three-course meal steaks. It said bread, which was basically, if you're out of everything else, all you got is bread and mayonnaise. Right? Like, that's all you got. No scrambled eggs? You don't, you don't even get scrambled egg sandwiches? You just got some bread. Okay? Okay. So we read that as see now God provide everything for me no provide me the basics because why we're going to read in a minute cuz I don't care anything about this natural world I care more about your spirit being enacted in my life and those around me so just give me what I need to survive because I want to just I want I want to I don't want to be full of this world I want to be full of your spirit are you seeing this? So this, even the, the request to say, God, provide, is not saying, God, fix this and do this and do this. The very request is saying, God, sustain me, because I, well, I already know you will, because you already know what I need. You see this. It's, it's a playoff of each other, and we read it like, <laughs> and I've read this a thousand times, by the way, at least. Forgive us of our debts. Some, some may say transgressions. It's basically saying the things we are indebted to. Does anybody want to take a gander at the things that he's probably more referring to than your... uh, And I've also heard this. Forgive us our debts. Like, I got some credit card debt. God, erase it. Bank error in your favor? Come on, Monopoly. No. (laughs) This idea is the debts that we have incurred from our evil, labors, annoyances, and toils, the things we are now indebted to, and almost like the wages of sin is death, He's saying, because we're going to forgive those that have transgressed against us, and we already know, we've read this priorly, that God's going to forgive when we forgive. So it's, he's, he's just pulling in on that. He's just pulling in on, take us, lead us out, forgive us of that, wipe that away. And then here comes, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Most people uh, read this as, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the devil or the evil one. And this is Not that this word evil is also the word paneros, which means labors, annoyances, and toils. Almost like, take us to a place of rest in knowing you are providing. So I don't even worry about this natural world. I'm just simply consumed with knowing you. And by the way, it's not almost like that. That's exactly what he's trying to convey to you. Lead us not into temptation literally means don't lead us into tests and trials in which cause our failure. Which is pulling from another scripture which we commonly super bad mistranslate to and I ain't got time to go into which is God won't put more on you than you can handle. Which is a really poor translation of a scripture. But what he's pulling from right here is this idea. He says deliver us from this labors, annoyances, and toils. Give us rest. And then, for thine is the kingdom, the glory, and power forever. Amen. Now I'd like to tell you a little bit about this. The doxology phrase is what it's referred to. For yours is the kingdom and the power and glory forever. Amen. Who's ever heard the word doxology? It basically means like a blessing, like a prayer and a blessing. Okay, it's pretty simple. I actually put some of it in here for you to help you understand. I even put you the history of the word, the etymology is what that's called, where it came from, so you know where the word doxology came from. It's interesting, actually, because the word glory is, in Greek is the word doxa, which is where you get. So a prayer of glory, almost like a prayer of praise or thanks. Okay? Now, if you actually read and looked at the Lord's Prayer originally, beforehand, you would see it. like Well, first off, real quick. I know some of us were raised Catholic. Who was raised Catholic? In your Catholic raising, did you ever hear the priest read this and then pause for a moment and then say this doxology phrase? Did they ever do that? Yeah? Yeah? You're about to find out why they did it. You're going to be actually amazed at how the Catholic Church had the Spirit of God uh, <laughs> at one point. All right, are you ready? <laughs> I'm not saying they don't now either. I'm, just, I'm not talking about the people. I'm talking about the idea. Okay. <laughs> Keep in mind, anytime we're talking about belief systems, I'm talking about the organization concepts, not the people within them. Okay, very big difference. All right, so if you actually look at the old translations of the Lord's Prayer out of the text, you'll actually find that it ends at "Deliver us from evil," and it has these two in English medieval. It'll have these two, what are called the little uh, uh, tilde sign. Okay, the little sideways S. Anybody ever seen that? Okay, this is a stand-in for a Hebrew idea, okay? And I'm going to ex- kind of explain this for you. So it actually would end with two of these little uh, uh, tilde signs, okay? And basically, th- th- this was a medieval stand-in, and the medieval stand-in of this is actually, if you read, they would excerpt out uh, letters and just write that over the top, and you would basically still know the, the, the word that it is. Y'all have seen the ones where it's like the beginning and the end are the same, and all the letters in the middle are mixed, but yet you can still read it? Basically, this was how they shorthanded. They used this, and it meant a, a sustain, a suspense. There's, there's something supposed to be here, but I'm not going to tell you what it is. Does that make sense? Like you got to figure that out. So they use this. Yes. You're about to find out why. Yeah. It's amazing, right? So Luke doesn't have this, by the way. Just so If you read Luke's account, he doesn't have this ending thing in it, but yet we all know it with the ending thing, and you're about to find out why. Now, is it hugely changing anything about the meaning of Scripture? No, but it shows you an idea about how, member pray in this manner, meaning this is kind of a, a, a structure of saying this is what's supposed to happen. So what, what, what happens here is it ends with that, okay? Now, This is a medieval expression, and we still use it to this day to mean this, but in the medieval time, it was used as a replacement for a Hebrew idea called silah. Now, in this, what is a silah? If you look at a lexicon, the word silah literally means to lift up or to praise, but specifically means a pause of silence, usually with a musical refrain, sometimes, sometimes not, but it basically means a pause and think about it, right? Jared's way of saying that is put that in your spiritual pipe and smoke it. Pause and think about it for a minute, okay? Just let that simmer. Let that settle. Let it marinate. All these different phrases we like to use. And so what they did was they put this in to, sim- uh, to basically symbolize this Hebrew idea called a silah. Which is used in Psalms like all the time. Like David p- puts it in there constantly, okay? Um, Selah in the Septuagint, if you remember from our study guide sessions, which probably some of y'all are like, well, you, well, We did sessions on how to study your Bible and talked about some weird thing called the Septuagint. Yes, we did, okay? And in the Septuagint, which is the Greek Old Testament, Selah means basically like an intermission, meaning something has completed, something new is about to begin, and this is a time in the middle, okay? So, where this phrase comes from is a document called the Didache, is how you would pronounce that, okay? This is an ancient Christian document, early, early Christianity document, and it's basically instructions to Christians on how they need to do all of their different rituals and stuff to be if we can just be honest, to differentiate themselves from the other worshipers at the time and say, hey, we're not going to do it the way they did it because there's something new that God is doing within us. So this is like, it's like a guideline. Okay? And that's actually where this entire phrase, for thine is the kingdom, glory, and power, comes from forever. Amen. Okay? Now, what happened basically was that this was added in because it was in that teaching guide. It was added in. But oddly enough, it was added in from a Catholic priest. So... And uh, by the way, if you actually look the the Holy Roman Empire, um, they they don't say this uh, like uh, from from the time of the Holy Roman Empire, the Holy Roman Catholic uh, Church, and all that kind of stuff. When that was all around, they would not say this ending piece. This came much much later. So just to give you a time frame on this, okay? Now, so why did or do? Because some still do, and do, the Catholics do this. Well, they actually propagated this entire idea. Just so you know some history. So here we have the Lord's Prayer, and they understood something that we have passed up. Just. Just, I mean, just blew past it, red light, and we just went whoosh, right through it. And it's this this was intended to be a bi directional conversation that Christ lays out for us, meaning you come to God with thanks, praise, honor, glory, saying, God, I want your will to be done. Tell me what to do. Provide for me while I'm here, because I'll forgive. If you tell me to forgive, I'm going to do what you tell me to do. So, what do you got to say about that, God? Pause, think about it, let God speak. And actually, the practice that was done at the time in the Catholic Church and even evangelicals, churches, and things of that nature back in the old days was they would recite that prayer beginning end or something like that. And they would pause, specifically waiting for the priest or, or, and again, in, in more Protestant, whoever, to say, what is God speaking to us right now? And they would literally pray and wait until the Spirit spoke. That's the history of this. What happened was there was a particular priest. I forget his name. I couldn't pronounce it for you probably even if I wanted to. Let's just call him John. Uh, everybody's name seems to be John in the Bible, okay? Uh, so what he does is he actually says this. For Zion is the glory and power forever, a doxology, saying, wow, this is what God like, is, is speaking. Like He is this. And it caught on so much that they wrote it down as this is how you can end it, basically. This is the ending of it. It made its way into the translation of the gospel, and now we read it as if that's the ending of it. But actually what this is trying to communicate, this is why I said, pray in this manner. Meaning, you go to God with this... Thanksgiving, praise, right? all of that. And then you sit and wait, and it's, let it be a bi-directional conversation, not just you talking to God, but then you give God the opportunity to respond back and say, here's what I got for you to do. Here's how I need you to do it. Da, 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 da. It's almost like the answers to all of your questions would be answers if you'd shut up and sit there for a minute. <laughs> and Kim said, amen. Amen. <laughs> There's a lot behind this, and again, I know some of you. If if, if you're worried right now, you think, "Well, this is just seems to be." Pulling a whole lot out of the scripture. No, it's removing things. Not because is there anything wrong with that phrase? For no, that phrase is all over scripture. The literally the exact phrase. David writes it in Psalms. So it's not like they created some random new thing that didn't jive with the rest of theology. It was simply the fact of if we look at it in that way, we stop giving God the opportunity to speak into our lives. We think it's a one-directional conversation. Prayer is me talking to God. No, prayer is a bi-directional conversation in which you go to God and you notice He gave us a very good manner to go to God and not like a bratty little teenager saying, God, give me, give me, give me, my name's Jimmy. No, shut up, thank him, praise him, go in that way, and then sit down, shut up, and listen. (laughs) I feel like the main points sometimes get lost for you guys, and you're laughing back there. I'll work on not using voices, okay? (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Dry eyes. (laughs) Okay. So, are y'all seeing this? This is huge about the Lord's Prayer. It's a construct of prayer language. It's a construct of how we're supposed to communicate. Now, I think we can get... I don't have a clock, but I think we can get a little bit further, yeah? Just a little bit. Then he wraps it up with this. For if you forgive men of their trespasses, or those debts that it was referring to, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you forgive not men of their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you of yours. Now, this is another big one. Who has ever heard that say, if you have unforgiveness in the heart, you're going straight to hell. Do not pass go. Do not collect $200. This is not what he's trying to convey right here, okay? First off, eternity is not in view in this scripture at all. (laughs) Have you heard one bit of this talk about how you're going to heaven or not? Eternity is not in view. See, now y'all remember my last few uh, chapters. And just real quick, sorry, I got like five things to correct right here, okay? So, If y'all remember the last few sessions that we've done, we've been talking a lot about the idea of quit the escapism, hurry up and get me out of here and understand your job is to bring the kingdom here, okay? And so I keep having to say this phrase, eternity is not in view here. I did not say it does not come into view later, but if we get the cart before the horse, we're gonna mess the whole thing up. And what has happened is when we keep eternity as the view, as the goal is this idea of, of getting out of here, Every time we read a scripture, we miss the whole point because we think the point is about to save your tail from hell. And we miss everything he's trying to convey. What he's trying to convey right here is an interesting little thought that we don't get because we don't read it all at one, and we, we, don't, we don't get it. For if you forgive men of their trespasses, which, by the way, was already in your prayer to God, yes, so this argument is another hyperbolic type argument saying that it is impossible for you not to forgive those people as your heavenly father forgiven you if you have done the prior things I just said. Because if you have approached God with the humble humility of heart, and if you have asked for his kingdom, his way of doing things, and you've literally said you're going to provide and I'm going to forgive, you've already committed. And if you're you doing that, this is an impossibility. You will forgive because you're actually walking it out. So we read this as if Jesus is saying, now. this is, this." is We read it like it's, it's. Uh, from, in my mind, I go to computer coding. It's called if-then statements. We read this as like, if-then, then this, then this. And it's like, oh, the program works, yes. And it's, that's not what he's trying to get across. He's trying to say, if you've done the prior things that we've talked about, you're going to forgive them. He said, if you don't forgive men of their trespasses, they won't forgive Why? Why? Pray do tell. Because you ain't a part of the kingdom of God, which makes forgiveness at the core of the kingdom of God. Yep. (laughs) Don't shoot the messenger, by the way. Um, (laughs) Y'all said you wanted to go a little bit further. (laughs) (laughs) It's a screaming to just, "Ah!" Is is that what? Oh, Okay. Wear a couple extra pairs of underwear. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, <laughs> that's why we don't have stones out there in the parking lot. Are we seeing this? All right, real quick, let's talk about fasting. And then then we'll wrap, do, do we have to wrap it up then, honey? Yeah? I don't know what time it is, so... <laughs> We would be super happy if it was overtime in a sports game. No, <laughs> this ain't even overtime. We started late. I started two minutes late, so I ain't even over yet. All right? So let's talk about fasting now. If we, if we haven't got this in our heads enough yet about this personal relationship side, this how we're supposed to pray, this bi-directional communication, this idea that when you're doing that, you're a part of the kingdom, so you're already, you're already standing in that righteousness. We already get all that. Let's still get, Now he says, now let's talk about fasting for a minute. Don't fast as the hypocrites do. He's back to these hypocrite people. He really doesn't like them. <laughs> With a sad countenance, is the King James Version of saying it, they disfigure their faces that they may appear unto men as fasting. But verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face so that you do not appear unto men to fast. But when your Father, which is in secret, and your, and your Father, which sees you in secret, will word you openly. Is anybody seeing a parallel? Constantly happens, okay? If you do it because you want to be seen and you want to make sure people know, that's what you get out of it. But do it in a way that is between you and God only. Not meaning that other people may not observe or see it or recognize it or see the outcome of it, but you ain't trying to say, Oh, I've am I'm. went to lunch a lot of times with a lot of holy people. And it's almost as if they only choose to go out to eat with you on the day they're fasting. So they can say, oh, no, I'll come to eat with you, but I'm fasting. Why didn't you just say, I'm going to come to eat with you? Oddly enough, and, and he's not here, and he's, he'll listen. So, Don, I'm talking about you. Oddly enough, Don approaches this more like Scripture than anyone I've ever known because he observes certain times of fasting, and he won't tell you. You'll be sitting there, like, just eating, and you'll be like, are you going to eat? And he's like, no, 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 I'm good. He won't even tell you unless you're smart, and you're like, oh, it's, it's Ramadan right now. Oh, okay, like, you won't get it. That is the level of saying, this is between me and God. So you ain't got no business in knowing what I am and am not doing. Now, don't get that confused again with like a corporate time of fasting and all that. That's, that's, that's different because what's the motive behind it? You see, this is just, this, just, I mean, heart motive, heart motive, heart motive. Now, what does he say about these hypocrites? with this sad countenance and this disfigured faces so that they appear. This was a practice at the day and the time. And literally, they would put like makeup on and stuff to, to illustrate that they were fasting. Uh, that's what the disfigured faces. They wouldn't like literally cut themselves. But they would wear makeup and stuff like that to, to illustrate and to show there's something vastly different about me. So women, if you wear makeup, you're a hypocrite. And I'm, sure <laughs> I'm kidding. My dad always said, if the barn needs paint, and paint it. I'm just playing. <laughs> so this is what it's referring to. He's saying, don't do these things to so where you can be seen as it. And this sad countenance, meaning you're wearing it on your face, right? Because you want people to ask. You want them to know. Now, moreover, he goes this far, and he says, now when you fast, anoint your head and wash thy face. I've heard people say, now this... You must be baptized while you're fasting and put on anointing oil. This is not spiritual. He's literally saying, Take a bath. That's all he's saying. <laughs> he is literally saying, Look the same way you always do. Smell as good as you always do. You know, it, it, he ain't, this is nothing super spiritual right here in that. Now, can you say, Well, anoint? Which, which means to protect and means to, to let the... Can you apply it spiritually? Well, yeah, sure. You could be baptized, all this kind of stuff. Can it happen? Yeah. But remember what I said a couple of weeks ago about if we take something that doesn't mean the thing and take it, even if it's a good, and make it mean that, when we come to the scriptures that are talking about that, they'll either be lessened or they won't make sense. Or... We'll we'll say, oh, no, they all mean the same thing, and we'll discount certain things. We have to keep it in view. So what? Because this is in direct correlation to the disfiguring of faces and the countenance, which is a physical thing they were doing. So he's saying, no, bathe, be normal. Basically, he goes on, so you don't even appear. People don't even know if you're fasting or not. And then he goes right back to saying, the things that are in secret, that are between you and God, when God sees that, your heart motive to be right, then... The reward will come openly, meaning that people will see the end result of it. And then, ta -ta da they say there's something vastly different. There's something transpiring in this person. The person I knew six months ago, a year ago, or 12 years ago, there's something different about you. And then we are actually like the old dumb Christian saying, which would be a great Christian saying if we actually did it, which would be there's something different about the way you love. There's something different about the way you do these things. Can you explain it to me? And then it's almost like the door is open to bring the kingdom of God. And then it's almost like the gates will not prevail against the church. It's almost, like we're an point. almost! And the vault is open! Boom! <laughs> we will, we'll stop right there uh, for this evening. Uh, so you don't appear to pass, your God will worry openly. And then he goes into talking about laying up for yourself treasures, which we'll jump into next week on that. So I had fun. Uh, I hope you. Oh, hello, terms and conditions. Uh, I hope you had fun, and not just had fun with it, and enjoyed the study of scripture. But it's something that is making you reflect back and think, and change your perspective. You will find largely that every time we discover new things, it's not all that new it's really a lot of the same with a little bit of extra here and a little bit of understanding here. And you'll notice that the complexity that religion has created about scripture and God and all this, you'll find it's like vastly simpler. That doesn't make it easier. It actually becomes harder (laughs) to, to, to execute on. But it becomes vastly simpler to, to, to begin to, to get the concept of what God is trying to convey to us. You know, and the last time I checked, he created so he should know how to communicate to us quite clearly. The issue is we hear what everyone else is saying about him instead of just listening to him directly with it. Now, I want to say one last thing because this has came up in lots of separate conversations and, and things like that. Don't take... It into account to say it's vastly harder so can't achieve it and all this kind of stuff and then walk into a place of what is commonly referred to as shame where you're like oh i'm never going to get it never covering up god does not ask for our perfection he asks for our willingness he asks for that lord's prayer right there to say your kingdom come your will be done and i may fumble all around that and mix up my will with your will in the process god but i'll try to keep listening to you if you keep speaking to me, which God is the speaking spirit to us, yes, he will. Yes. So we just, we just got to walk that, that balance. And I know religion puts us in that place, but that is not God. We can see that in Genesis as well. Genesis chapter 3, what happens when man messes up? They cover themselves. And what does God do? Say, you ain't covering yourself the right way anyways. So he takes the covering away and gives them something new, a new cloak. The prodigal son should come into your mind. We'll discuss that in several weeks.